Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Duncan Aviation Straight Talk podcast. My name is Eric Anderson, and today I'm joined by experts Rod Walther and Andy Tice to discuss the Artex ELTs. Before we jump in, will you guys take a quick second to introduce yourselves? Sure. My name is Rod Walther. I'm the team leader of the NAVCOM team at, inside the Duncan Avionics shop here in Lincoln. Um, our team has been reprogramming the ELTs for probably close to 16, 17 years, and we've been full repair capabilities on the units for approximately the last six to seven. Yep. And I am Andy Tice, been with Duncan Aviation for almost 16 years. My job title is Avionics Rotable Manager, and my primary responsibility is to try to have the units on the shelf that our customers need uh, on an exchange basis so that they can make flights and uh, be efficient with their aircraft. Awesome. Rod and Andy, thank you guys so much for being here. appreciate you guys taking time out of your busy schedules. So let's really kick this off from the top. What is an ELT? Okay, at a high level, ELT stands for Emergency Locating Transmitter. Uh, the ELT is supposed to activate upon any time uh, aircraft's in an unfortunate instance or helicopter. Uh, that ELT is typically activated with a specific G-force uh, with uh, hard maneuvers, possibly impact. And really the, the primary function is to give the safety personnel the best opportunity to find the location of the aircraft with the hopes of a, an immediate rescue. Awesome. So why would someone want an ELT in their aircraft? Like we had mentioned before, the biggest thing is that it gives you increased survivability. Uh, there's been instances where aircraft have been gone have gone down. The uh, people in the aircraft survived the initial impact, but then subsequently were lost to conditions because they weren't found in time. Okay, makes sense. Is it mandatory to have an ELT in your aircraft? Yeah, it is not mandatory it's to have in your question. aircraft. That's kind of a complex question, exactly like Andy said. It's it's really one of those things, depending on how your aircraft is certified, whether or not it's mandatory or not. Awesome. For your general use, private-owned aircraft, it is maybe not mandatory, mm -hmm. but recommended. But once you start getting into charter aircraft and 135 and 91 operators, it becomes a, a need and a uh, requirement. Requirement. Okay, perfect. So, and for the relatively low cost, we certainly recommend that uh, anybody who can invest and has ELT in their aircraft just to increase safety in the event of uh, an unfortunate incident. So, Rod, do you want to talk about the frequency now? Yeah, I'll talk a little bit about the frequency, just so everybody's aware, if you were not. February 1st of 2009, the 121 megahertz, which was the general use frequency, general aviation use frequency was all the terminals were shut down for that. So now today they've added, or back at that time, previous to that, excuse me, they added the 406 megahertz capability into the ELTs. That goes along with the 243, which was generally meant for military use. Um, the 406 is a very complex signal. Just to give all of our listeners an idea the 121 and the 243, if your ELT is only capable of those frequencies, had a very limited search area. And actually, going back in some records, I found out that they say that it had a location accuracy of about 12.43 miles, which basically comes out with a search area of over 700 miles. Um, when we added the 406 megahertz capability, that location accuracy got much improved down to 
1.86 miles, which limited the search area down to 17.42. The location accuracy, if you program it properly on the 406, can actually be dropped down to a search area of a football field. Oh, wow. That's a huge difference. That's a huge difference when you're talking 17 miles of a search area down to a football field. Yeah. Most people should be able to find an aircraft down within a football field of an area. Yeah. I mean, that can be the difference between life and death in certain situations. Definitely it can be, you know, and, you know, Artex came out many years ago and they did a training presentation to a lot of our sales staff and our technicians. And they actually brought up uh, an instance where they knew of a helicopter or an airplane that had gone down um, that did not have the 406 megahertz capability. It had gone down in the mountains and both people survived but ended up freezing to death that night because they could not be located soon enough. Oh, wow. So what are the different Artex ELT types? Well, really, when you talk about types on Artex, you really need to differentiate between the Molex connectors, the white 12-pin Molex connectors, and the C406Ns. The Molex connector units are really similar. C406s, C406Ns, 2s. M, the G406 or the B406. The B406 was generally built for Boeing aircraft, where the G's and the C's are both for general aviation and for some private jets. Um, those Molex connector units also have the possibility of using a dongle or a nav interface in that ELT system, which helps enhance the searching and the data that's being sent to Coast Pass to have that aircraft found. The um, C406N uses a little programming adapter stick in there. That helps like the dongle to program the ELT and keep that programming with that aircraft. There's also what we call an ME406 that is meant for a lot, a lot of smaller aircraft, let's say a Cessna 172 or something like that. Those were actually, are actually on their way out um, they're no longer producing those, but they came out with an ELT-1000 that is a direct replacement for that ELT for the ME-406 that actually you can reinstall and use the existing wiring in the aircraft to actually get your data, your FMS or GPS data to the ELT. The ME-406 did not have the ability to take in that data, but okay. the ELT-1000 does. We also work on the ELT 3000s and 4000s, just to let everybody know basically what those are. Instead of the lithium batteries that are in all the other previously mentioned ELTs, these actually are coming out and just now being manufactured within the last 18 months with alkaline batteries. And one more thing I wanted to mention just to everybody real quick, all these ELTs also come with the possibility of an HM version in the model number. And what that means is that's a helicopter modified ELT okay. that actually contains five more G switches inside of it besides just the frontal G switch. Okay, good to know. Can you jump into the advantages and disadvantages of each type real quick? Yeah, I kind of mentioned the, you know, the Molex connector units. If you have that nav interface in there, it's is a really good um, tool for that. You can use that nav interface for the actual strapping for the aircraft. And you can also use that to get your FMS or GPS information to the ELT to be able to better broadcast and narrow down that search area. The C406N actually does all that within itself. It takes in ARINC 429 information directly to it without the use of the nav interface. 
and the programming adapter that I mentioned before actually holds the programming for that aircraft if that is the customer's needs and expectations. Awesome. I'm going to jump in real quick and say this is all really confusing stuff. Um, so if you guys have any questions, I will put Andy and Rod's contact information in the show notes section of this podcast. Feel free to shoot them an email, give them a call. They'd love to talk to you and just kind of clear things up. So Andy, I'm going to direct it to you now. What options does Duncan Aviation provide to support the Artex ELT units? Well, I think we've got quite a few options to suit whatever the customer's needs are. As Rod had mentioned earlier, we've been working on these units for quite some time. Uh, some customers do prefer to get their serial number units back. And if you've got a little bit of downtime to send a unit into the shop, our repair capabilities can take care of uh, nearly anything that you can find wrong with these particular units. Uh, we've also recognized that not everybody has a chance to wait. Uh, time is money in the aviation business. And so we've tried to put together a roadable pool to support customers' needs. And we're helped with that by our ability to do work on these units in the shop. Of the units that we have available for exchange, uh, we certainly have the ability to take care of all the programming needs before those ship out to the customer. That should give you a unit that's ready to put into the airplane, test, return to service, and get on about your business. Uh, we also offer as an option the uh, opportunity to purchase a battery while you're buying the exchange. Those batteries are field replaceable, so we don't require that you buy the battery. But if your battery is close to expiration and you want a turnkey unit that you can put in, we can certainly install that battery, program the unit, send it out so you're ready to put it right into your airplane. Uh, one thing I would like to men uh, mention about the battery is that that does classify as a hazardous shipping item. So we recommend anytime a customer plans to send a unit in for repair, or if you have a good battery on your ELT and you choose not to purchase it, it will make it easier and less expensive for the unit to be shipped with a regular FedEx or UPS shipping service since without the battery installed, we won't have to classify that unit as hazardous. Hey Andy, let me jump in there real quick. Um, one thing I wanted to clarify, when you pull that battery, there's a process on the install manual and the battery that you need to use to do that. When you pull the battery off, you need to pull the two pin connector itself and then pull the eight pin connector off the battery. Then when you go to reinstall it, you need to do that in reverse order. Install the 8-pin connector and then the 2-pin connector. That will cause damage and possibly blow the fuse, one of the fuses in the battery itself, as well as possibly causing harm to the ELT itself. Awesome. Good to know. So, Rod, you and I were talking earlier about the different protocols that be used for programming an Artex ELT unit. Could you explain them a little more? Well, the one thing I want to bring up in this conversation is the, is the differentiating between a short message and a long message protocol. The short message protocol only contains about 112 bits of informa information. The long message protocol contains about 144 bits. Um, there's a limited number of those bits that are even really available. In both of those, they only really have 60. Um, in the short message protocol from my notes here, it uses 42 bits for the encoding for the aircraft registration and only 18 bits for location. The long message uses 44 bits for encoding and another 25 bits for location. This is the reason that I always stress whenever we can to use those long message protocols and to program them with standard location. Because when I go to standard location, they only use 24 bits for, that pro for the aircraft registration, which gives you an additional 41 bits of information 
for your location accuracy, which allows for that shortened and much confined four second search or football field of a search area. The one thing I would like to bring up also in that is that USA and Canada prefer the 24-bit address protocols, especially with the RTX line being capable. There are some other ELTs out there that we program that don't take that type of protocol. Okay. But the RTX does. And there's in my conversations that I've had with a lot of customers, they don't understand what this 406 is about and what it could provide them. Yes, yeah, so if you guys do have questions, please give Rod a call. He'd love to help clear things up for you. Um, so let's expand on that a little more. What is the required information for reprogramming one of these units? Really just basically confirm what your programming needs are. You know, um, what tail number are you going to? Um, if it's U.S. or Canada, really all I need is the tail number as to how you want it reprogrammed. But before we really get into a lot of those reprogramming, a lot more of them are having to get repaired more and more on the bench. Um, if your programming request is for a foreign country, including Mexico or the Cayman Islands or anywhere else, and we've programmed ELTs across this world, I would recommend that what you do is you go to your that government authority and you ask them to provide you with the 15-digit code that they want the ELT program to. The reason that is, Eric, is mm -hmm. because a lot of these other smaller government authorities don't have the ability to decode that that full 24-bit address code, okay. that new type of protocol. Uh -huh. So if they don't have the ability to decode it, they're not going to, it's going to basically be seen as an unknown code. Yeah, makes sense. So are there any concerns for programming outside the United States and Canada? I would say my only concern is that we don't have a great resource to verify how each aviation authority in each individual country would like to have the unit programmed, the ELTs programmed. We do have a good resource for Canada and for the US. And like Rod mentioned earlier, that uh, for us just requires a tail number and we can kind of do the rest from there. But anytime you're outside of those two countries, we wanna make sure that the operator is contacting the aviation authority for that country, verifying the method of programming that's required for that specific country and communicating to, that to us. That way we can make sure that it's programmed properly for your country and that we don't have any issues in uh, compliance or regulatory problems. And I'll add to that a little bit. Normally, those government authorities will actually provide you with the 15-digit hex ID that they want the ELT program to. In those cases, that's the information we need. I don't need to know the type of pro the type of message they want us to send or the information within that message because I can take that 15-digit hex ID, decode it and then program your ELT to that 15-digit hex ID. If we can get that from the government authority, that is the best case of scenario for the foreign countries. Why would you have to reprogram one of these units? Typically, a lot of aircraft owners like to reprogram or like to change their tail numbers. Maybe you purchase your aircraft and okay. you want to change the tail number to a different one. The uh, one other thing that um, I would highly recommend that you look into when you're pulling your ELT for programming is that you confirm whether or not there is a dongle, a nav interface with the Molex connectors ELTs, or if there's a programming adapter installed with the C406N. Because if those things are installed in your aircraft, reprogramming your ELT is not going to help. Mm -hmm. It's going to get put back into the aircraft and it's going to be reprogrammed back to what it was before. So essentially useless. 
essentially what she did was useless. You got the repair, uh -huh. but she didn't take care of the programming on the aircraft. Okay, good to know. So that's a big, important step in there. Yes. Do these things have like a battery life? Yeah, the battery life is actually I mean, on the outside of the bat outside of the battery itself, and actually has an expiration date. Okay. Generally, that's a five to six year deal. Okay. Um, but it is classified by month and year on the outside of them. Okay. The Artex batteries actually hold a uh, memory inside of them. So every time you activate that ELT and turn, even if you're just checking the code, if you just turn it on and mm -hmm. shut it off, mm -hmm. it constitutes as 30 seconds of use. Okay. Um, Artex as well as, as well as Duncan recommend that once you've exceeded that 30 minute interval, mm -hmm. no matter how much, how many more years or months are left on your battery mm -hmm. that you replace that battery after 30 minutes of use, because okay. we consider 60 minutes of use to be, in need of a new battery. Hey Rod, if the customer doesn't have the test equipment that we do, is there any way for them to know how much time has been elapsed on their battery or if it needs to be replaced? Not really. You'd have to go to a programming facility to actually really get it. The one thing that you can, and that's for under 60 minutes. If it's exceeded the 60 minutes, you will get that five flash fault code when you turn your ELT on and shut it off. Remember there's a, a one flash, a three flash, five and a seven flash. So. And let me clarify that. That's not a five flash. That would be a seven flash fault, not a five flash fault. Awesome. Great question, Andy. Yeah. So Andy, I'm going to throw it back over to you again. What information could the customer provide to us to assist in expediting the repair of their unit? Well, we've got two different scenarios here that we address on a, on a daily basis with these units. We've got the scenario where a customer is looking for an exchange unit. In that case, when you're placing an exchange order, uh, we would like to see the same kind of information that they have on a repair. We'd like to know if the customer's verified that there's a programming adapter or a strapping plug on a nav interface in the aircraft, obviously we don't want to program the unit, send it to you and have that information rewritten mm -hmm. like Rod mentioned earlier. We prefer to have the failed serial number when we at time of order so we can uh, use that to trace the core coming back to Duncan. We'd like to know if a customer wants to have the battery installed or if they'll be providing their own battery. And then we also like to know it, what programming method that they would like to have it programmed with before it ships out the door. And again, our goal is to make sure that when the customer gets that unit, puts it back in the airplane, it's ready to go and they don't have to worry about anything else. And they've got that increased level of safety that we're all looking for. Uh, when it comes to the repair, most of the questions are going to be the same. Uh, the one suggestion I would always make to a customer if you're going to send a unit in for repair is to give us a call and talk to one of the account reps in our repair shop or myself or Rod. Uh, at that time, we can give you a better idea of how quickly we can get a unit turned around. Uh, we can maybe give you a little bit better idea of what average repair pricing runs based on the type of problems that we normally see. Uh, you know, we see a lot of units where the H shield or basically the black center piece around the middle of the ELT is cracked. You know, we, we know how to fix those things. We can give you some average pricing based on that. Uh, the activation switch has a rubber cover on it that gets torn. That's another common area of failure. And uh, some other things like that, we can give you a better idea of what the average repair price might be, warn you if there's any parts delays that could affect how quickly the unit will get back to you. And also really communicate what the lead time is in our shop right now. As everybody knows, the uh, avionics business is pretty dynamic. We could have uh, an instance where if somebody calls in in one day and we quote them a seven to 10 day turn time and we get flooded with units uh, a few days later, that that turn time could turn into 10 to 14 days or possibly longer. Mm -hmm. And knowing, again, that time is money with this business, we want to be as transparent as we can with our customers and what their options are in getting a unit back quickly and efficiently.
Yeah, really, like you just said, time is money. And that's everything. So anything you do to expedite that process really will. Time is time is money. And when it comes to these ELTs, the funny thing is I've, I've worked for the last three, four years really, really close with our purchasing department here here within Duncan to make sure that we have these parts in stock. And my mm-hmm. guys are telling me, hey, we're running low on this inventory. So there's a lot of things like Andy stated, the switch covers, the the coaxes that get replaced on the on the dash two four oh six the C four oh six dash twos, the H shields, the G switches, you know, all those common things, the control board, they are we've got stock of a lot of those parts to make the repairs. Well and I think, you know, we might ask a few more questions up front, but at the end of the day, our overall goal is to get a unit back to the customer the first time, hundred percent right, ready to be installed. And and this additional information really helps us to do that. Can one of you explain the Service Bulletin 1000 a little more? Yeah, Service Bulletin 1000 was actually issued by ACR uh, in January of 2019. It basically clarifies and calls out for the replacement of the G-Switch every five years in order to maintain your annual inspection of your ELT. There's a lot of misunderstandings with that, with clarification of helicopters versus fixed wing and so on and so forth. But when it boils right down to it, both ACR and Duncan are complying with the Service Bulletin by this yearly statement that they issued in Service Bulletin 1000. So if your ELT goes past your five years between five and seven and you reference the Service Bulletin, it calls out for your G-switch interval to be dropped down to every four months. Between seven and nine years, it says dropping down to every three. And after 10, it's annual. So really to save yourself money, maybe along that five-year time frame, honestly, Eric, every five years you replace mm-hmm. your battery. Mm-hmm. If you have your ELT sent in for G-switch replacement and for a battery replacement, mm-hmm. we could probably get that all taken care of, get you a new battery, send it back to you, and you're, dealt, you're dealing with both of them, and you can maintain that annual, that annual inspection process. Okay. Um, the other thing I'd like to state on that service bowl in 1000, just for clarification, is um, the U.S., F, our famous FAA in the United States, issued a service airworthiness information bulletin, SAIB, on the same topic in June of 2019. EASA, that we deal a lot with, European government, mm-hmm. actually issued an AD on this same topic, referencing our Texas service bulletin 1000. In September of 2019. So anything that we do for a European country, we have to comply with that service bulletin. Great. So before we start to wrap this thing up, I'm kind of curious, what are the most common questions that you guys get from customers? I would say the biggest thing that I got from um, the repair side or from the shop side is that, you know, why is my ELT putting on a different code than I, than it's labeled? Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't label them when they program and pro- when they program in the aircraft, or like we discussed before, you might have that programming adapter with the C406N, or a dongle, or a nav interface installed with our Molex connector to RTX units, and those things are overwriting the programming that was done before. There are some real catchy things, especially with the Molex connector units, when you attach the nav interface into them that it has to be programmed a specific way in order for the nav interface and the ELT to talk back and forth. Okay. But feel free to reach out with me at any time and we can discuss that in more, more detail on your specific aircraft. Yep. And like I said, their contact information will be in the show notes section. Well, and I would agree with Rod. I think the majority of the questions that I have from a customer 
revolve around the programming formats. Uh, those were discussed earlier. And uh, in the instance where they've just had a unit serviced or they had just purchased an airplane, it's labeled one lay, but when they read the ELT, it's showing something different. So for us, that's, uh, that's kind of a big thing and really important why we talk about knowing whether or not your aircraft has a PA or if you have a nav interface, if it has a strapping plug. And so uh, those are questions we typically ask. Rod is a really good resource and I can help as well explain how you find those things in the airplane. Uh, the programming adapter is uh, usually pretty easy to locate. It's, it's actually built into the connector that hooks onto the ELT. So you can typically see those fairly easily. The nav interface might be a little bit tougher to find, uh, but we can certainly help with that. We've got a lot of expertise uh, throughout our company. Uh, I do get a lot of questions as well. You know, in the today's day and age, we have people that call and we're certainly happy to talk to people. We also have people that would like to know what we have in inventory. Our website, uh, da.aero, is a really great uh, resource to see what we currently have available in our inventory and what the pricing is. So that's another great opportunity. If you think you might need an ELT, you can certainly look there first to see what we have available and then give us a call to take care of the rest of those order details. I'll expand on that nav interface just a little bit, Andy. When you do locate that nav interface, which is orange, like 95% of the ELTs for Artex, let alone multiple varieties, mm -hmm. the when you do locate that nav interface, there's two connectors on that nav interface. The P1 connector, which is on the left of it, is actually the interface with the ELT and the and the FMS to get that information to it. The P2 connector may or may not be strapped, and that is meant specifically for that aircraft 24-bit mm -hmm. address, which many of our listeners are probably going to understand. That's also your transponder code. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And that's the exact same code that you use to strap your transponder. We use that same code to put into the ELT to provide that 24-bit address of the ELT. Awesome. Well, Rod and Andy, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me today. Before we sign off, is there anything else you guys would like to add? Feel free to reach out anytime, whether you know what you need to get repaired, whether you need an exchange, reach, reach out to Andy or I or any of our other account reps or sales personnel. Everybody knows who the experts are and who they need to go to to get the right answers for you. But from a repair standpoint, feel free to reach out to me definitely, and I can definitely get your pricing you have the ELT in front of you, we can talk about this or that or whatever is broken or torn or missing. We can definitely get you some price, some general pricing over the phone right away. Well, and I would certainly tell you from the sales side, you know, we do our best to try to have the kinds of things on the shelf that customers need to support their aircraft. And we don't always have everything that we need, but we have a great network of salespeople that have the ability to locate items. And we certainly uh, would like to know anytime you feel we should have something that we don't have. So we really like to talk to people. If you're looking for a unit and you think it's something that's hard to find, let us know. We have a great uh, sales team that can really locate items and we can help you get things taken care of. Or if there are special situations, maybe your fleet, uh, you have eight or 10 of this specific item in your fleet. And you know, we have the opportunity to go out and find some inventory to help support you and your business. We're always willing to take a look at that. So just a, a quick reminder that uh, we're always a phone call away and we like to hear uh, what's going on out in the industry and what our customers need so that we can uh, be their best partner in business. That's a great point on that fleet operator, Andy. Um, I don't know if you know, but I've actually had a few customers that come to me with fleet operations and we've actually set up in our work order system how they want their ELTs programmed all the time. 
So we have that pulled up. So every time we open up a work order for their ELTs, Mm -hmm. we can go to our customer comments tab and find out that they want this specific type of protocol. If you're out there as a, as a fleet operator, give me a call. If you got a lot of our ELTs in your aircraft and we can work through that to get that set up the way that you need it set up. And you don't have to provide that information to us when you need that repair. Like you said, time is money. Exactly. Awesome. Well, if you guys like what you heard today, I invite you to check out our website, duncanaviation.aero slash straight talk. Um, on there, we have all of our past webinars and podcasts and a bunch of great information. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Eric.